Welcome to the podcast. This is James and Bob. Glad to be back on the show. We had a nice holiday. You, Bob? Oh, yeah. Christmas was epic. Yeah. We've got uh, Trent Wangard on the on the line today. He's a friend of both of ours. We've uh, met we met him last spring in Washington at the Western State Shoot, and we had him on episode four. So if you guys haven't listened to uh, episode four yet uh, with Trent Wangard, we get into some mountain goats and um, bighorn and. Uh, mountain lion and there's some really exciting stories uh, on that episode and you guys should definitely check that out for sure Trent's an awesome guy and then uh, today we get to talk we talk a lot of elk on this one so for you elk nuts out there this will be a good one Trent had a pretty awesome season get to go through the highs and lows on his elk hunt and then uh, we finish it off with some whitetail action so should be a good one it's a long one yeah it's a long one and if you guys are uh, in the in the market for a new bow, definitely give uh, uh, Wangard Archery a look. Uh, Trent makes some beautiful uh, takedown recurves, and he's uh, he talks about the introduction to his new uh, one piece and three piece longbow that are going to be available soon. So yeah, definitely give him a look there. And um, yeah, we're uh, pumped to have Trent back on the podcast today. Uh, Trent, you were on. Was it episode four? Yeah, episode four, I think it was. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, if you say so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> back, back back, yeah way back there, uh, uh, me and Bob met Trent at the Western States Rendezvous in, um, where is it? somewhere in Washington. Somewhere in Washington, yeah. Somewhere up there in Washington, and, you know, we, we've been buddies with Trent instantly. I mean, I actually, I'm... Right when I pulled in, Joel Turner grabbed me and said, let's go shoot, and Trent was in that group, and we shot, I don't know, 10 rounds that weekend together, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, a few, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, no, that was fun. Yeah, so yeah, it's it's awesome to have this uh, young, talented Montana Boyer as a friend. Uh, so how's the bow building going for you? going good yeah well obviously with uh christmas the last few days and everything it's um and hunting season just got out of hunting season so i haven't built quite as many bows the last few months as i would have liked but uh i did get some hunting in so that was a plus (laughs) but um but uh no yeah it's it's going good got got some orders and uh backed out a few months and yeah that's awesome i don't think the hunting's a plus i think it's a must a must, yeah. There we go. That's the way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Definitely a must. Yeah, it's awesome. So I see you've got a, a new longbow. Uh, have you released that yet? Well, yeah, I've got a few on order, uh, but it's mostly guys that have just kind of heard about it and asked me for it. And I, I've had a few guys that have been bugging me for it for a while. So um, that's kind of where that came from. I I didn't have time to put it on my website yet. So. Um, so yeah, it's just it's uh, it's just if somebody calls me, I you know they can order one. But yeah, I I haven't actually put it on my website yet. I don't I don't I'm not, I'm not finding the uh, time to 
to update my website. So I, I just need to buckle down and, you know, do that one of these days. Yeah. So but, it's uh, a, it's a one piece hybrid and you're, you're calling it the tar. Um, you yep, sent yep. me a couple of the prototypes, the early on prototypes that, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I spent some time with and I think it shows a lot of promise and it looks like you've done some major changes in the grip and riser area, stiffing it up. And I'm looking forward to, uh, trying, uh, trying it out again. It looks like, uh, it seems like yeah, a really yeah, cool bow. Some, yeah. Tweak. Yeah. Yeah. I went and tweaked a few things there and, uh, yeah, see, uh, see what happens. With it. I, I, you know, that's, that's one, one style that I worked on a lot years ago and, um, and then I kind of moved away from it. I actually spent more time on that than any, anything else. And then I, I kind of moved away from, it, went to the three piece bows and, uh, like the long bows and the three piece recurves. And, uh, and now I'm finally getting back into those just, yeah. People like those little one piece bows or I can see why too. They're, they don't weigh anything. <laughs> yeah. So, it's my style. Yeah. I like, a, I like a one piece long bow for sure. Yeah. yeah no, they're, they're cool. Yeah. I shot that three piece you brought up there to camp and man, that thing shoots good. I'm, I'm more of a heavier riser guy, I guess. I don't know. I haven't shot yeah, the long bows yeah, enough to get proficient with them, but that one, wow. I mean, it's just like my recurve, just a little quieter. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's got the same and and it's kind of funny because I, I had a couple guys ask for the you know one piece and I was going to do it anyway, but I just it sped it up and then then I kind of got that going. And then then I found out most people want the three piece hybrid, which I yeah you know, I've been building those too, but I kind of focused on the recurves lately, and <laughs> so I uh, I'm getting those. I'm almost done with the uh, prototyping for that too, but it's. Is I'm it, trying. I don't want to. I don't want to build too many different styles. I think that could do more. I mean, yeah. I, I want to yeah. just stick with the basics. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 Everybody likes something different. You know. Uh, I think that's one of the cool yeah. things that me and Bob bring to this podcast is like Bob said he likes a a heavy riser. You know, long recurve and and I I kind of like yeah. a, a a lightweight uh, a shorter longbow and. And uh, Bob shoots split finger. I shoot three under. I mean, we there's just a lot of different <laughs> parallels there. Yeah, so um, I know you do some carving on your bows, and we talked about this when we were up hunting. But I mean, it's just kind of fascinating how you got yep. started and all the all that. I mean, maybe you could go through how you got started, your previous job, what you were doing, and then how that's kind of okay. bringing over into what you're doing on your bows now. Because I mean, it's amazing. So and it's a great story. Yeah. So maybe you could share that with everybody. My last job, um, I was working, well, long story short, I was, I was, I was working for a super rich guy and, uh, summertime we basically got paid to hike and maintain some trails that we had built. And, uh, we had also built some cabins way up off like, you know, anywhere from like the one cabin was about two miles from the uh, road. And then the other cabin was about three and a half miles away. And, you know, so it's kind of these off-grid projects, these small, tiny little cabins that he can just, you know, go and, you know, get away from everything. A, a really cool guy. He, he's super cool guy. But anyway, um, in, you know, obviously you can't go up in the mountains in the, uh, the wintertime, you know. And uh, he was, uh, they were looking for someone to do some carving work on some furniture and do some custom furniture. And, you know, I that's something that I used to do is furniture and stuff. And I told him... <laughs> I had never carved before, 
but I mean, not seriously. I'd done some chainsaw carving stuff like that, but I had, I had, um, they were looking for somebody to uh, do some more detailed carvings and chip carving and stuff like that. So, um, I told them, uh, I would be willing to, you know, to uh, try it and like, well, did you ever do any carving before? <laughs> I was like, well, no, but I used to do a lot of pencil drawing, you know? And so I, I showed them some of that stuff and they liked it and said, Hey, we'll, we'll let you, you know, try it. So, <laughs> so I, I did a piece or two of furniture that had I'm trying to think what my first job was. I, I think maybe our first one was a table, but anyway, um, did some stuff with some carving on it and they loved it. And from then on, uh, yeah, it's basically, I, you know, I did a lot of carving for uh, different projects for them. It was anything from like a relief carving, anything, I mean, I mean, literally anything from animals to flowers, you know, <laughs> and then chip carving, you know, so I, I think that's what, a little bit of anything. I think that's what James wants on his bow, a couple flowers. Uh, <laughs> <there we> go. <laughs> uh, maybe a sunset no, and some so, flowers yeah yeah Save yeah so this, this, this was a number of years yeah yeah this was a number of years ago and i uh i was working on these projects and then on the weekends i'd work on my bows and i'd be there carving look at my bows like oh man i wish you know i could work on the bows and and i had this friend that was all into fine shotguns with all the engraving and stuff. And, and he was telling me I should really start doing it on my bows. So largely in, because of him that I started the carving thing with my job and then with the bows too, I haven't done a whole lot on the bows, but yeah, yeah, that was kind of my old job. I used to carve quite a bit. So. That's cool, dude. I mean, I, I've met a lot of guys in Trent. He might be young, but he's, my dad used to always tell me when I was a kid, I was, you know, I was 20 going on 50 and I feel like, that's totally how it was when I got to spend some time with Trent up there. I mean, the stuff he's done in 27, how old are you? 27, 28? I mean, it's just. I'm um, 28. 28. Yeah. It's just like, wow. Just talking about the bows and the car. It's like, man, what have I been doing the last 37 years? So super cool, man. I'm super excited for you. I'm glad everything's working out and hopefully uh, keeps going good because, man, you do a do amazing work talking about all the all of his blueprints he's got stashed in his shop and and he has a hard time making bows because he's always working on different prototypes and stuff so you you've probably been busy picking flowers bob <laughs> yeah i don't know about that uh, <laughs> well that's awesome trip yeah. glad, glad everything's going good and uh also you said you got a lot of hunting in this year and uh, that's kind of yeah, why we're yeah, giving you a more. buzz, see how your business is going, and here's some recap stuff. You're definitely a killer. So uh, let's well, first talk about it, your elk season. Elk season? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was... Uh, so you're back in yeah, Montana for the first time? Yeah, I, I moved to Colorado for, for uh, seven years, something like that. And uh, yeah, we moved back home. Uh, back to where I uh, grew up and it's, uh, actually I live about 300 yards from where, I mean, from my mom and dad's house where I, where you so, yeah, I'm right back. But anyway, yeah. So I, um, I, I, you know, I got back was, I was excited to get back and hunt around here, but at the same time I was a little worried because, uh, um, Colorado, I had this one area figured out pretty good and I, I could feel pretty confident about getting at least a elk and uh which is all i want you know, i'm just after the meat and 
long story short, I, I, uh, got to hunting season and I, like usual, I didn't have any time to scout. So I just had to strictly go off of areas that used to be good and, uh, just kind of went back in those same areas and started hunting around and, um, and first, so when you're saying used to be good before you left, were the wolves, had the wolves showed up there where you grew up? I mean, when yeah, you left seven, eight yeah, years the ago? Wolves is, oh yeah. Yeah. They had, uh, I think it, it, it probably got like, it peaked out as being the worst about two years after I left. Right. But, uh, no, yeah, the, yeah, the wolves had already done their, done their stuff. I mean, it was, I don't know. I'm not a biologist, so I'm not going to speak to if they killed them all or not, but they, obviously the population went down. I don't know how much, but it, if, if, if nothing else, it at least displaced them or they changed their habits. They changed how they bugle. It, it changed a lot of stuff and areas, some of our favorite areas years ago, we, within a year or two, um, there, you couldn't find an elk track, you know, and it used to be our favorite areas. So, and it could just be that they just pushed them out of the area. I, I don't know, but at any rate, it, it really, it majorly changed, you know, where you hunted, how you hunted. You would really feel the impact when you went out hunting. But, uh, and you, and you're talking a little yeah, bit about, a, talk a little bit about the calling. Like, how do you think that changed with the wolves? Cause I know where you hunt, it's yeah, really calling. thick. So you kind of have to rely yeah. on calling for success. Yeah. yeah calling or a, or a tree stand. Yeah. So, um, how it, I mean, it seems they don't bugle as much and that maybe it's just cause there's less elk or I'm not hunting in the right place, <laughs> but, uh, uh, it seems they either they bugle less or, um, they bugle quieter or they, they, they're not quite as apt to bugle, which would make sense. You know, if you bugle and then wolves come running or hunters, you know, I, I mean, obviously towards the end of the season, it can, it can be affected just by the amount of pressure, but, yeah. uh, um, but yeah, no, it, it's, they don't, it's, it seems to me anyway, they don't bugle as much and they bugle quieter. Um, they kind of, yeah, they're not quite as, you know, quite as uh, vocal and especially this year, I, it could have been the area I was hunting, but this year, boy, I didn't barely hear any bugles at all. I mean, just, just a few, yeah. um, I had like maybe two or three days where I had, had bugling going on at least was some, it, you know, was it crazy hot outside for the season for you? Yeah, it was a hot season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Un- until like that third week, then it it rained all week, um, and then I think it was the fourth week when you know the rain quit, but it was still nice and cool. That's actually when I killed a bull. So, yeah, it was it was uh, it was a unique season because I yeah, like I said, I didn't get out to scout at all. You know, <laughs> so I was strictly going by what used to be you know what used to be my favorite areas and. So do well, you tell us, yeah. you start out, how, how'd you start your season? Do you do a little tree stand hunting at the beginning? I did. Yeah. So, um, the first five days I did all tree stand. I was, it's so hot. I said, I'm just going to sit a tree stand. I was like, you know, if I put my time in something will eventually come in. So I, I sat on a tree stand. It's actually, yeah. Anyway, I, yeah, I went in this, this one area. I'm not going to do this again. I, I sat at the same wallow for five days straight or not straight, but for five days, like the five days I could hunt, it was probably in a week or a week and a half, probably a week and a half time. I sat there five days straight. The wind was good for all of it, except for part of the one day and then ha- and then most of the last day. So I, but anyway, I, 
I kind of I think next year if I sit on a tree stand, I'm going to switch around a little bit more. But yeah, I, I had um, I had a spike come in the first day, and you can't shoot spikes here. And then uh, the next day, I I had this five by five come in, and uh, he's standing there like twenty five plus yards, but he's quartering two, drinking, and he was there for like ten minutes. Uh. And uh, so I was there waiting, and finally he kind of starts walking over he's going to come by me at probably 18 to 20 yards i had so stupid i i left this one branch to uh you know to a little extra cover which is really dumb because the deer and the elk around here don't get hunted out of tree stands very much and they have they're not like those white tails you hear about back east where they're looking (laughs) up in trees they don't you can make a noise or something and they'll look down below you. They don't look up, you know? And so it was stupid. It was totally my fault. But anyway, I left this branch there for some extra cover. Cause I kind of felt like I was kind of right out in the open, you know, um, even though I had a really good background, but anyway, <laughs> uh, because of that branch, I had to like the bull was coming, walking, quartering to, and then I got to this branch right out in front of me there. So I had to kind of like pull back my bow, put it forward and then put it, over again and by then he's almost through my my uh, lanes there and so i like making some noise to try to stop him before he goes behind the tree and he wouldn't stop and just kept right on walking and i i wish now i'd have done that loud yo thing that uh yeah, the, joel says to do the bark yeah. but you know yeah but he was just totally he was there by himself totally calm you know i didn't I didn't know if that's the right situation to use it in or not. I, um, Cause it's just, I'm like right there, you know? And uh, he's just nonchalant, just walking along. But anyway, he made it through all my shooting lanes and I felt like such an idiot. I promptly went and cut that branch down. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I was like, man, day two, that's cool. And so uh, um, a couple hours later, I had some cows come in and I was like, well, man, it's only day two. I, I should have had a bowl. And there's some cows like, ah, we'll wait, we'll wait, you know, give another day or two before I shoot a cow, which I normally, I normally, man, first chance I get cow or anything, but I'm, I'm, I'm shooting it. And, uh, so I passed up the cows. Long story short, I ended up sitting there three more days, uh, doing those all day sit. Yeah. They never, they never, uh, never came back. I had some elk. Let me think here. I, I had an elk coming in. Uh, he came in from a different direction from where they normally come in and he smelled me and that was the last day. The wind was kind of bad on that day and I had deer come in every once in a while too. So that kind of kept things interesting, but yeah, I never. And you're sitting a wallow or a water hole. Well, it's, it's kind of more like a spring. Um, the one area there, they can, they can roll around a little bit in it. So, um, so yeah, it's kind of both, but they mostly just drink there. All the areas I hunted over there, I never found a wallow. Everything's so damn steep; the water doesn't have a chance to pool up. <laughs> so <laughs> now there's some there's some really good wallows, but the problem is a lot of the ones I know about are are close enough to the truck that I mean, you pretty much have to get in line to go sit there. <laughs> well, it's, it's I'll, pretty bad. I'll give you a tip, Robert. I've, I found a really good spring and some timber here, and in the spring I went down there with the shovel. And dug me out a six by six uh, area and trapped the water. That was about eight years ago, and it gets hammered as a wallow every year now. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of guys doing that. 
Not a bad yeah. idea. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't take but 10 or 15 minutes, and you got to wallow for forever. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, I'd be, that's that. Yeah, that's a good idea. I'm going to try that. I, I, you know, around here, if if you can get like this one's about three miles in, and that's kind of right on the edge. Anything closer to the truck, um, the outfitter is going to have a tree stand on it, or just just a local is going to have a tree stand on it, and uh, they're going to be they'll be sitting on it quite a bit. And you know, right. if you know, if it's hot outside, so yeah. it's I don't know. I'd like to like a, you know again. I never have time to scout, but I'd love to get out and scout next year and try to find some walls that are, you know, further back in that I don't have to worry about other people. Another uh, another tip I have on the wallows, because uh, I go and monitor several of them in the Roosevelt country, is preseason, summertime scouting. I will go and pick out all the debris that blew into those wallows in the winter, pull all the sticks um it makes it oh, yeah. easier for them to roll around in and i don't know you know a lot about rocky mountain elk but i know that our roosevelt's like to wallow like a lot in mm-hmm. august and beginning of september okay. yeah and if if you make yeah. it com- comfortable for them they'll use it a lot and i found ones that were covered in debris and they just wouldn't use them so it's kind of hit and miss so um so you said you're doing all day sits is that like seven in the morning to seven at night or i mean what what does that entail yeah it it depends on the like on the actual wallow uh some of the wallows i've sat they've they tend to come in at first and and last light so at those i try to be there um like i try to be in my tree stand like half an hour before daylight and sit till after dark if they pretty much only come in morning and evening sometimes i'll i'll take a break midday and leave you know midday um but for this stand they they tend i've never never seen or or had them come in in the morning until like the earliest they've ever come in is like nine or ten o'clock so i'm more just kind of hunt my way there and then uh and sit the rest of the day so i'm I'm usually in the tree stand on and on that one i'm usually there from it's usually half an hour to an hour after uh daylight i'm i'm usually sitting in the tree um but, uh, but yeah, but yeah, it, it just, you know, I was like, if I put my time in and it, I guess technically it did pretty much work out. I just, I messed it up. Um, it, it was like, if I just put my time in, it'll happen, <laughs> but it, it didn't. And I was basically going to sit until I start hearing bugles, you know, and then, uh, start, you know, get down and start hunting. And the bugles just, <laughs> the bugles just wouldn't start really. I just, I never really heard any. I, I like the last day I heard a bugle or I, I heard two kind of weak bugles off to my right. And so <clears throat> and I got tired of sitting in a tree stand. So I, do you do any call or not? I'm, do you bugle or cow call from your tree stand? Um, I don't really, unless it's just totally dead. I don't think there's anything super close. I, I might throughout a little bit but my my number one goal with a wallow is to have them come in and not be looking for anything so yeah <laughs> right so uh and it's it's kind of a place they come anyway you know so if, if i think if i hear something go through up above me or something and if they're going through too high or whatever and not coming to to water i'll i'll, I'll do some calls at them but in this particular area if they're in that area and sometimes they're just plain not there for a while but if they're in that and the the upper part there if they're there they'll usually swing by the spring but you know two days out of five you know that's not that great so 
I don't know. I might, I might have to adjust things next year. <laughs> My wallow sits. Yeah. But, but yeah, after, after the wallow, sitting i i went hunting with my older brothers and my dad for i think it was about two days uh we were gonna hunt that that week it rained all week but um we decided we can uh we can just let it rain and, <laughs> and hunt the next week so uh yeah we, the just, elk, we kind of the, caught up on some work and, the, i've learned when i was hunting over there the elk and i know we talked about this but i know like roosevelt's where james hunting it's different when it rains like over there the elk well, I mean, what do you think they do? Are they just hold up in the rain over there, or so you just don't hear them bugle, I, I or what? Yeah, so I, it, I don't know what it is, but I've never had a whole lot of luck in the rain archery hunting for elk. It it, it seems I don't know they they get like, either you can't hear them or they don't they just go quiet. It seems like they don't move around as much either. Yeah. Um, but I I don't I don't know. I've I mean, there's been times where we've just put her head down and hunted through it all week, you know, solid rain. And <laughs> I don't know. You're so, just soaked uh, and miserable. Really I, had anything good happen, yeah, so. we did it. I, one of the times I went over there, it was, it rained for like 10 days straight, man. And that was our, you know, we were there for 12 days or something. It was like, we had to hunt it. You know, the first couple days yeah. we were there, it didn't rain. We did okay. And then, then the rain came in and it didn't stop. And we pounded it. After eight days, we're like, this is ridiculous, you know? I mean, like, nothing yeah. dead. Yeah. I mean, we tried everything. So, so it doesn't sound any different than the Roosevelt country. If it's raining, I'm looking for blacktail deer. I, the, the elk hunt is totally over for me. I I hate hunting elk in the rain. I don't know what they do. I'm pretty sure <laughs> they go into the reap rod, like that 12-foot tall, 14-foot tall reap rod that's impenetrable, and they just lay down in it. And they do nothing. They don't bugle. They don't move. Yeah. I mean, you give me rain. I'm like I said. I'm gonna start glassing clear cuts for spot and stock opportunities on blacktails. Now, I I love hunting in the rain for for blacktail bucks, but elk, it's game over. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. And like I said, I don't know if it's just bad luck. But yeah, thankfully by the end of the week, by the weekend, by like Friday or Saturday, I think yeah, Friday it had kind of cleared up a little bit or slowed down anyway. It still rained some, but um, so yeah, we I went out hunting with my my oldest brother uh, Friday, and then uh, now sorry to interrupt. One thing I did want to touch on on hunting in the rain, I I do know that if you can find them. Which is tough to do, but if you can find them, it creates a whole nother opportunity where I hunt. And I don't know if it's the case where you're at, but our elk don't move a lot of ground. And so, if you can find them, it creates wonderful tracking environment. So that if you run into them and, and you bump them, you can now pretty much stay on them for most of the day. Uh, you know, via tracking. Do you, do you uh, have those opportunities? And I mean, tracking elk can be some of the most fun a guy can have in the woods. Yeah, I've, um, I've tracked some just to try to find the herd. Um, I never tried it in the rain um, that, that I can remember. But uh, no, that makes a lot of sense. You could, you could see what's fresh and what's not pretty easy. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> out here, it, the soil is so rich that if you bump a group, even a small group of seven or eight, they leave a swath wherever they're going. And you can, my tactic is 
to sit down and have a granola bar, drink some water, give them 10 or 15 minutes, and then get the wind right and sneak up on them. And I've bumped them as many as seven times before getting a shot. Um, and it's crazy to see what they do. A lot of times they'll run 300 yards downhill, do a J-hook, and I'll huddle up in a piece of brush and stand there and listen. And oh, wow. The, huh. Each time you bump them, they go a little further, but they like to kind of run and then J-hook, run and then J-hook. Huh. Wow, man, that's that's nice to know. Yeah, I, I've never really played with them like that. That, that sounds interesting. Yeah, it could be a lot of fun. Um, I've mostly had actually had those opportunities in the. We have if we don't get a bull in the early season, we've got a late season out here in January, and I've had quite a few opportunities of tracking them in the in the downpours in January, and and I found even in January, if you lose them, but you're within a earshot, some excited cow talk will will uh, stimulate the calves. To do a I few mews and give the whole herd up, and I can just imagine the whole herd is staring at those calves, saying, "Don't do it! <laughs> Shut Don't up. do it! Shut up!" <laughs> and then they, you know, they let out meow, and then it's on. Here I come. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's so perfect. Just a little tactic I thought I, I, I'd share. Uh, yeah, tracking is is totally awesome. I think it's a lost art. Uh, the old timer, some of my old time uh, buddies who've been hunting elk for 40 or 50 years, they've got this tracking skills, even in the dry, they talk about tracking elk, you know, for days. And it's, you know, it's, it's an awesome way to hunt elk. If you have the skill set. Oh yeah. No, that sounds great. I have to keep that in mind. Yeah. And my buddy, uh, Gary Wallace, he always said that if you think you're, you got six, you're tracking six, he says, always double the number. You know, if you think it's two, it's four. If you think it's six, it's 12. And I found him to be totally right on that because they kind of will fan out, yeah. You know, and so it's it it makes for uh, an exciting hunt when you have the opportunity or can learn that skill set. Yeah. So let's get back into your elk season. So uh, we're, you're moving through the wet weather, and uh, you've teamed up with your family, and yeah. Um, let me think here. I'm thinking that wet week. I, I'm thinking on Friday, I went with my oldest brother. And we went into this one area that that's been good just in the past, and uh, we we had kind of split up, and we we're kind of on this knob trying to get some bulls, you know, excited, trying to find out where they are and everything. And because I, I hadn't really heard any bugles yet, but I, I they should have been bugling. I mean, they got to be bugling somewhere, you know. <laughs> so uh, anyway, we 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 heard a bugle really really faint, and so I started just uh, we had kind of split up. I think we were like 50 some yards apart, just listening. He was kind of listening off to one side and I was listening off kind of this other side of this little ridge there. And, um, I, I just done a bunch of bugles. I had, I had heard one down there. And so I just, I bugled like three or four times trying to get him to bugle again, try to get a better beat on where he's at. Cause it was, it was a ways down the hill and I wanted to, wanted to get a better idea where he was at. Cause the wind was still going down. So we'd have to loop all the way around. And yeah, anyway, so we, uh, I had just thrown out some bugles and some loud cow calls and whatnot. And all of a sudden I hear something behind me and, uh, this bull, well, I guess it was a bull. It had to be, a, I heard some stuff coming and, uh, or, you know, break is some uh, popping sound and stuff. And so I, I got narrow knocked and sure enough, I saw elk legs <laughs> go through at, it was like 
45 yards, but I never saw the head or anything. But I'm assuming it was a bull. He kind of, I'm almost thinking he made a few sounds. It's been long enough and I can't remember for sure. But anyway, he went through. But um, as soon as he topped the ridge, he heard like that bull down, way down the hill bugled. And he just went straight down. And I'm thinking I called him up to the top of the hill. And then once he was there, he heard the one down below and he just kept right on going. And I called and stuff to him, but he was gone. He didn't come back in. And uh, that was pretty much it for that day. We we heard some more bugles, got into like nothing close, but heard some bugles, just couldn't make anything happen that day. So the next were, day, were you were you bugling that bull? Um, well, yeah, when that bull came up to me, came through, he was bugled in. Yep. I, I, yeah. I'm, I might've done a few cow calls, like I'm not sure about that. I know I bugled three or four times trying to get so, that other bull fired up again. So, so do you think maybe it was like a, a, a satellite bull that left the herd to come see what was up? Didn't, didn't see elk and then just ran well, back okay, to, to join so, the group. Yeah. He was on, I called him up from the opposite side of the mountain. And he came up at the top of Ridge and then dumped off the opposite side from where he'd come from oh, right okay. down towards where the other bull was. Um, so, yeah, he was, I think he was a bull just out cruising. Cruising. You know, yeah, looking okay. for, you know, looking for some cows and stuff. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, that didn't work out. And, and then the next day, I went with my other brother and his son. He's like, boy, how old is he? He's uh, thinking he's like nine, maybe. But yeah, tough little kid, but he, he don't have to worry about him. He keeps right up and <laughs> it's awesome. really cool. But, uh, we, uh, we went and slugged the brush and it was kind of, kind of a light misty rain part of the time. And so, you know, I, I have better gear now than I used to, but you know, uh, Camden, my, uh, my nephew, he, I don't think he had waterproof pants on. It was just more of your regular pants and he got, he got soaked, but he was just excited to be out there. But, but, uh, but yeah, we went, we did a pretty big loop that day and yeah, it was nothing. I mean, didn't hear a bugle, didn't see any elk, didn't see any fresh sign. It was, and we did a big, big long loop and we got back to the truck, um, the afternoon and kind of went out in a different area and I think in right at right towards dark yeah 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 it was right at dark we heard a bull way off in the end of a ridge and um my older brother was in that same area that whole day and he said yeah that there's a bull over that there was a bull out and hanging out in this one area over there and so he tried to make a play on it but uh, he got close, but couldn't see. You know, couldn't couldn't make it happen. No, no shots. So now, um, are you so anyway, are you guys are you guys hearing any wolf howling uh, during the season, or cutting any tracks, or? Um, um, yeah, we'll cut tracks. Um, yeah, we'll yeah we'll cut tracks. That's not uncommon. Um, as far as hearing them howl, I didn't this year. Uh, I have already in the past. Um, you know, back. Uh, 07, 08, when they were really coming in thick, I, I've already had times where we were calling to elk and all of a sudden, uh, this group of wolves fires up over here. And then all of a sudden another group fires up over there and the elk just shut up and it doesn't happen all that often. I mean, you'll hear them howl, but yeah, it, it doesn't happen that much. Um, you'll more see their tracks and, uh, Copy. you know, that, that type of thing. So. 
Um, but yeah, and then um, Sunday we didn't we didn't hunt on Sunday. And then Monday I went back. Um, my older brothers they had to catch up on some some work stuff, and then they were going to hunt Tuesday, Wednesday, some of that. And so um, I was on my own on Monday and uh, went out and figured I'd go back to that that place where we had heard that bull um, Saturday evening. I was going to, I was going to hunt my way back to that area. Cause up and to that area there, there's like, there's, uh, um, there's elk before you get to them. And I didn't want to walk past a bunch of elk. I was like, and, and there's this one area where we knew that they kind of bed up if they're in the area, they, then they, they bed up in this one place there normally. So I was like, I'll, I'll hunt my way there. And then midday I'll just kind of lay around and kind of wait for him to bugle. And then I'll try to make a move on him. And, uh, so anyway, I, I, I hunted my way back in there and, uh, I, I was getting, I was, there was enough fresh elk sign where I was hunting pretty slow and about 11, 11 I was still only about halfway to where I wanted to be. <laughs> but, uh, I, I, I came over this one Ridge and was going to bugle, do a location bugle off to one side. And there was just a ton of fresh elk tracks and sign and everything. So I slowed down I, I kind of eased my way to the edge and, and when, when, when I think there might be elk super close and I don't know if this is good or bad, but it's just kind of how I like to do it. I like starting out with, uh, with cow calls first, do a couple soft ones. And if nothing answers or I don't hear any, anything, any uh, brush snap or anything, and then I'll, then I'll do some loud ones. And so I was, I was right in the middle of that. I was, you know, I'd cow called a little bit, a little bit later. I, did some really super loud cow calls trying to, you know, get a little more reach. And all of a sudden a bull bugles like hundred yards away, just right there. And he bugles. And then after he bugles, this other one bugles a couple hundred yards the other direction. And I was like, Oh, perfect. <laughs> so I, I hunkered down, got arrow knocked. And a little bit later he bugles again and he's closer. And of course, about right then I see him, and, uh, kind of on, not on the top of the ridge, but almost. And so it was a little more open right there. And, uh, he, he came into 45 and he knew he should be able to see me. And, um, he just, I mean, if one of my brothers had been with me, like either two steps up the hill or two steps down the hill, they could have shot him. But right where I was, it just, there it wasn't there wasn't an opening and I, he was looking for something and he couldn't find it. And, uh, and obviously 45 is pretty far for a stick bow. So, <laughs> so anyway, he, he kind of hung up there for 10 minutes or so. And he finally, uh, you know, I didn't see the cow. So he finally just kind of fed away and it took him, I don't know, 15 minutes or so to feed out of sight. And, uh, I tried to, you know, he'd be, have his head down feeding. Then I'd chirp a little bit and he'd, put his head back up and look and didn't see anything. So he'd just keep on kind of ambling away. Just kind of wasn't in a hurry. So I knew, I mean, he wasn't spooked, but he knew he should be able to see something too. So, so I went, I went towards the, where I heard that other bugle and, uh, did a cold, like a, like a cold calling setup where I, I, uh, I tried to make it sound like there's a bull chasing the cow around and just made a lot of racket breaking the brush and, there for about 45 minutes and nothing came into that. And, uh, then I went back over to where I called that other bull in and was kind of hunting my way through that area. And, uh, just never, 
never got on him again. I, uh, by then it was midday, you know, so I, I, uh, I packed up and went to the area I wanted to go to. And it's, it's kind of on the end of a ridge and, and they bed up a couple hundred yards down from the, this, uh, this knob. So I, uh, I was on the one side of the ridge and I, uh, right before I topped over the ridge to be up above this knob, I went and did some location bugles down the one canyon, just trying to get anything fired up that was down there. Nothing answered, so I uh, I went up over the ridge and uh, took my pack off, laid my bow down, put the hat over my eyes, and was gonna start trying to get a get a nap in. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I I like if if I'm in an area that I'm really confident that they're like if I'm in an area that I think they're bedded up right there close within two three hundred yards, I I like. Um, I like just waiting it out, you know, rather than bugle. I don't know. I've had good luck with this. I, I, you know, rather than just go bugle my head off right, right there. I like, uh, just waiting and hopefully they'll fire off. And after they fire off, if they're a couple hundred yards away, well, then I move closer and I lay down again (laughs) and just, you know, try to take another nap until they bugle again, or I'll just sit there and listen. And, uh, and I, I try to inch my way closer like that to where about, you know, say four to five o'clock right before they start really moving again, I'm within a hundred yards or less. You know, I try to inch my way in without saying anything. So they have no idea I'm there that way. When I make my move, I'm right on top of them. And, uh, and it can take, even if you know kind of where they bed up, it can still take, um, you know, three, four five hours to work in on a bedded group doing it this way. But I don't know. I'm, I'm a little more the cautious type, which has hurt me, but it's also <laughs> been good too. Sometimes. So yeah, I don't know. But anyway, um, I, that was my plan for the rest of the day. I was just going to, you know, try to get something to bugle from its bed and working on it. So I was, I had just put the hat on my eyes, just getting ready to, to sleep. <laughs> and I hear some brush down below me about probably 150 yards and the man well what happened is did the wind switch or what so i i sat up and and now the wind's good and i just keep hearing this brush and all of a sudden i i was like you know what that brush is not moving it's staying at the exact same spot it's not like there's elk running there it's the brush that noise is coming from one spot all of a sudden it dawned on me it's a it's a bull rake in a tree and uh I, I put two and two together. I had just bugled 15 minutes earlier on the other side of the ridge, which I think was far enough away that it wasn't too threatening, but it was close enough that it, it kind of agitated him. And so he must've got up out of his bed and just started raking a tree and, uh, was kind of ticked and, um, or raking a tree for whatever reason. I don't know. Anyway, he was raking a tree. St- so yeah, I, uh, s- uh, elk nut calls it staging and displaying. <laughs> Donald, yeah, you know. yeah. So, yeah. So I, I was, I was close enough. I was like, man, I don't have to do this, you know, move 150 yards and wait for another half hour for him to bugle again. I can just, I can almost start playing right here. So I, I put my backpack back on. I got an arrow knocked. I, I think I went, yeah, I went down the hill like 20 or 30 yards. Got my bugle out and uh, just, just screamed a nastiest bugle i possibly could at him like a just did a just uh challenge bugled him 
And at this point, he hadn't said anything yet. I was just totally going on the fact that he's raking a tree, and obviously that's a bull. And yeah, so anyway, I I challenge bugled him, and like two seconds later, he bugles back, and then I bugle back at him, and then he bugles back at me. And this time, I was ready, so I cut him off, and he started getting more and more worked up. He we we exchanged back and forth a couple more times. And I was cutting him off, and finally at the end, he was starting to cut me. He was just—he was mad. And uh, <laughs> so awesome. So I knew by the last by the last bugle, I knew he's starting to come. And so I, uh, I was like, okay, I, I like trying to get him to commit, like where I know that they're coming, and then I like moving after I've last called. Right. Um, and uh, that's something I learned from my older brother. He's done really good calling an elk for himself. Killed some really good bulls, and so. After once I was sure he was committed, I moved down the hills. I'm going to move down the hill until I hopefully spot him first. Or and it, 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 it's kind of a gamble because you they could catch you, you know. Right. Um, but if you don't move, they tend to hang up like that bull earlier in the day that hung up a little too far out and a little too much brush. I was like, when, I don't want that to happen again. When you move, you know? are you are you moving? Uh, are you kind of J hooking yourself? Are you, are you, I mean, obviously the wind has the biggest factor on your movement. And then also yeah, when you so, move, when you move, are you cautious not to pop or break any sticks or are you moving aggressively? Oh, I'm moving. I'm trying to not make a sound. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to be super, super quiet because right. then if, if he, if he's hearing me call, but then all of a sudden hears some stuff closer, yeah, he thinks I'm coming to him. So exactly. Yeah, so I'm trying to be super, super quiet. Now, if it's like if it's really brushy, I'll move uh, downwind. Like I don't usually move very far. Like, but if it's really, really brushy, I can't see very far. I'll try to move. But, but I'll basically look down the hill and say, okay, from this point, I can see there, and that's like that might be 15 or 30 yards, you know. So I'll just move about as far as I can see from where I was last standing, thinking that. If he thinks I'm here, he's going to have to walk somewhere in that vicinity to look Hang. up. Or if he comes straight in, I can still see to shoot him if he comes straight in. Right. So you're um, picturing you're picturing the hang up spot and meeting him there. Yeah, yeah. So then, but then in this in this case, it was actually a little bit more open timber. Um, so I, I was moving down the hill. I'd move. I I'd, I'd went like 30 yards or so, and I I saw him coming about 70, 80 yards down the hill. And I just saw his horns go through and, uh, it, they went behind a clump of tree. I actually know first he stopped and bugled. Uh, yeah, I, I quick, I quick put the brakes on and he bugled and I was like, Oh man, it's like, now I'm going to have to answer him again. And, uh, so I, I, I don't know if it makes a difference or not, but I turned away from him, bugled. Totally. And then he kept, he kept coming. And as when he went behind this little clump of trees, I was like, man, I, I didn't gain anything. I, it's going to be good. So I, I quick went down like another 10 yards. And um, so I, I made it down there and look, and I, I didn't have very many shooting lanes right where I was at, but it's it was what I had, you know. So I, I set up, kind of figured he would come to my right, so I set up for that. and uh, And in this case, it actually worked out the way you thought it would <laughs> a lot of times it doesn't but this time he he did what i thought he would he came came kind of uh he kind of circled to the right and or came came up the hill for me a little bit but he was he was paralleling me 
like he was like 35, 30 coming in and, and, uh, it's kind of a bummer. Like I've, you know, when, when you bugle them in, they'll either come just running in, like breaking everything in their path and they're kind of mindless or they'll kind of do the slow, steady walk where they're just, everything's kind of stiff. They don't really crank their head around and look, they just more, everything's straight and somber and, you know, and, and it was kind of a bummer, but he, he was doing the slow, somber thing. So he kind of the trying to look tough. I think he's coming in, coming in. And, uh, excuse me, he, uh, he came in his head. Um, I I was kind of following with my bow and, uh, his head went behind a tree and I quick pulled back my bow and it was like 25 yards. Right. And I was like, okay, as soon as he comes, as soon as vitals come from out behind that tree, I had an opening and I'll shoot him right there. And, uh, got back full draw and, and right before, like he got his head and neck through there and about right then he turns towards me. And takes like one or two steps and stops. So now he's like facing dead on or slightly quartering to like it, it's only pretty yeah pretty much straight on at twenty three to twenty five yards somewhere in there. And he like just stops and he's he's either looking right at me or looking past me. I don't know. It's he it looks like he's looking right at me. But there I am at full draw with my recurve. I'm like uh, <laughs> this isn't gonna last too long. So. <laughs> I, um, you hunt that long. I think at that point that was day number 10. Um, I just did not, just did not have much of anything to go on. I knew if I don't make this happen, it might not happen this year. And I was like, man. So I, uh, I slowly let down on the bow. I just, I let down super, super slow and I didn't think it would work, but it did. I, I got all the way down I, it took a long time, but I, and my arms hurt like crazy, but I, I let down super, super slow. Um, and he stayed right there. And after I was, had let down, he still stayed there for, I don't know. It's hard to tell in the moment, but it, it, it was a, a good long while. I just stood there and I did feel a little bit of wind on the back of my neck. I don't know if it was that or what it was, or if you just got nervous from everything. But anyway, he, he kind of knew something was up. They kind of get that look in their eyes, you know? And, uh, and he like puts his head back and starts turning to leave. But luckily for me, he was kind of still in that, um, in that slow, you know, how, um, I don't know how to explain it. You, you, you know how, yeah. say, say if you watch someone, uh, decoy whitetails, the whitetails coming in ears back, stiff, and just kind of everything's kind of slow motion until he gets to the decoy. Then he goes and smashes it, you know? Yeah. That's oh, kind yeah. of, he was still kind of, he was still kind of in that mood. Everything's kind of strutting slow, but he's, yeah. he's, he's, he's getting nervous. And so I, I, I was like, okay, when he turns to leave, that's my only shot. And normally you can never shoot him as they're whirling to leave. But in this case, he was turning slow enough. He's, he kind of put his head back and he just starts like, uh, I'm not sure about this and starts turning to leave. And I just, uh, when his head turned the other, other way, I just, and I just quick pull back my bow and shot. And I was, I was a little concerned about it being a little far back, but I did end up getting the, getting the liver and everything. So he ended up, we, we, uh, I, I gave him a good amount of time, but, but yeah, I hit him. He, uh, he went, uh, he, he took off and I 
I hiked out, got my older brothers who went back in there and, uh, ah, we were on the blood trail for maybe half an hour and caught up to him. So, yeah. He's a beautiful, beautiful public land, six point bull. Yeah. He's, uh, he's actually got a really small frame on him, but yeah, it's, it's a neat little six by six. And, uh, and yeah, it was really tickled. I mean, shoot, I would have shot a cow at that point. So I mean, <laughs> normally I don't pass a cow up the first day barely, but <laughs> so it gave me, it made me sweat a little bit. Cause I mean, literally I'm trying to think. Yeah. All, all the elk I've killed with a bow, they all fall in sight. I mean, they die quick and it's all been like double lung type stuff. And, um, this one running out of sight, uh, if, if an elk runs out of sight, I get really nervous. And, uh, so I, I had, yeah, it was kind of nerve wracking waiting and everything. I was scared stiff. The shot wasn't where I thought it was. And, and, but anyway, it, it all worked out good. He was right there. And, and uh, how far did he go? To, he went, um, went 250 yards. Um, but it was a pretty good blood trail. Well, I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't like when you hit him in the heart of the lungs, but it was still good enough. You could follow it. You could stay on it pretty easy. Um, and, uh, he, uh, he died on his feet too. Did you get a pass through and what, uh, broadhead were you using? Yeah, I, I got a pass through and I, I was, um, I was using a cutthroat. Awesome. So yeah, a cutthroat, uh, 250 grain. Those are, yeah, I really like those things. They're super tough. Now, so, if I remember right, you get this bull packed up and you're packing them out and you get a call from your old man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, that was awesome. We're, we're actually packing this elk out and we got into cell service, which is kind of unusual, but we got into a little bit of cell service and, um, th- this text came in from my dad. He's like, yeah, he, uh, he shot this buck and, uh, you know, wants to have our help uh, trailing it. So <laughs> we, uh, we got up got out of there. Um, he uh, met us partway and we, yeah, we, we took the bull back to the truck and then went in and, uh, tracked his buck down and yeah, shot a nice little, probably like a two and a half year old muley. And, yeah. uh, and so what, yeah, that was, what, that was pretty what, cool. And what equipment is your dad shooting? What's his setup? So, um, I, I was, uh, just, <laughs> just to make, just make sure that people know I'm not, uh, giving him my hand me downs. He, uh, he picked it. <laughs> I was gonna, I called him up this last summer. I was like, dad, I'm, I'm going to make you a new bow for this year. You know, you know, what do you want? And, um, he, uh, I, he came over to the shop and I pulled out my bow. I just made myself a new bow for that year. I, I was one, one that was a little longer and he's like, man, I didn't know you made yourself a new bow. I said, uh, what, what are you doing with your sheep bow with, with your bow that you hunted with last year? I was like, well, I was thinking I might sell it. I got this guy that wants to buy it and you know, I might just sell that bow and I said, man, you're going to sell that bow. He's like, you've hunted 20 days out in the sheep mountains of that thing and you're going to sell it. And so I was like, well, Hey, if you want it, you can have it. You know, it's, you know, I was going to build you a bow, but if you'd rather have that one, it's yours, you know? And he's like, well, let me think about it. So he, he, uh, he took it home. I sent some arrows home and he shot it a few times. He's like, yeah, he's gonna, he's just gonna take the sheep bow. So, <laughs> so Very he cool. was using, he was using that bow. Um, he used to shoot like, uh, like 70 plus pounds. And, um, then about 10 years ago, he, 
actually no, no it's longer than that 12 13 years ago he had me build a uh like a 55 pound bow uh he just you know dropped in ways like yeah you know, he just thinks it'd feel better on his shoulders and everything and so he dropped weight then and then now uh, this bow was even less this one was like 50 pounds um so it, it was a 50 pound bow uh 58 inches long and uh, actually no it was 60 inches long sorry it was a 60 inch bow and uh and i i set him up with some black eagles and uh with a lot of point weight and everything i think total arrow weight was maybe 600 grains or something but uh sweet man yep. so you were s- saying earlier you were talking a little bit about gear how your gear has gotten better over the years maybe we can go over that um just for the guys that maybe aren't familiar with the country you're hunting it's it's got a lot of underbrush, a lot of huckleberry brush, a lot of alders. So even if it rained two days ago, you're still just soaked. Yeah. From I mean, there's <laughs> waist down. You're just swimming in water all day long. And and uh, you know, I I didn't. I've never hunted it with really good gear. So maybe you can go over you know yeah. what you're using now and what you started with. Yeah. So I um I well I used to wear cotton. <laughs> Long story shortened up until like. Three years ago, I wore cotton. I I knew if I buy one piece of good clothes, I'm going to be ruined, and I'm going to have to go fork out the money for all of it. And uh, which I had them, I could have done it. It's just I didn't want to spend the money on that at that time, you know. So I just like, well, I'm going to keep limping along with my cheap stuff. And so yeah, you just in in Colorado too. The area I was hunting in Colorado is really kind of a unique place and it was even brushier than here uh, i still do, i still don't believe you there i still don't believe that hey i will <laughs> i'll i'll take you there i'll take you there I, i'll uh, have you convinced in about two hours i'll have you convinced <laughs> i i didn't i didn't know that i didn't know that anyone could find anything brushier than where i hunt i mean i uh, yeah i, I still i still uh, swear place, it's yeah it's pretty yeah, brushier. No, this place in colorado um like i said it's very unique it's not your typical Colorado place to to hunt. But anyway, it, you, you literally, at the end of the season, uh, my arms and the front of my legs are all just covered with scratches. Like it's all red, you know? Yeah. It, it, it'll make you bleed. I mean, it's, it's, it's that locust brush Okay. and it's got thorns and it's just, it's thick. It's so thick that you can barely even, you can't even walk through some of it. I mean, it's, it's bad. It's really bad, but yeah. And that area too, it even if it didn't rain, it was dew every morning, and so you'd go out and uh, you'd be soaked. But I mean, by the time daylight hit, I'd already be soaked from waist down, and I'd be sloshing water in my boots. Yeah, yeah. even <laughs> if I was wearing gaiters, they still they still it was so much water and so much brush that you know it was just and you just got used to it. You just did it, and if it was a good day, the sun would come out. And you could kind of dry out by, you know, late afternoon, you were kind of halfway dry. Uh, I mean, you'd still be sloshing your boots, but I would, I would bring just, you know, basically bring a bunch of extra pairs of socks and I just change them out every once in a while. That helped. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, so anyway, I, I bought, you know, some Kuyu, some Sitka and some stuff like that and, uh, hold it. (laughs) That's a game changer right there. And I knew it was going to be. I just, like I said, I didn't want to put the money into it. But the thing is, I mean, you, if you buy a pair of pants and two shirts, you don't have to have more than that, you know, and that doesn't cost that much, 
know? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and a quality so, rain suit for sure. Oh yeah. That's, that's, yeah. I got, I got some rain gear now too. And man, it's, and it, it, you know, I'm ruined now. I'm, I never be able to go back, which is, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so, so, but anyway, yeah. So now I'm wearing the Kuyu and the Sidka and I kind of got a hodgepodge of everything. I shoot, I have five, six different camo patterns on at once, but it's, uh, it, it works. So you yeah. kind of find what's on sale and buy and it. Then, so. <laughs> and then also, um, I know hunting with you over there and, uh, on that late hunt this year, you, you shoot an elevated rest. Maybe you could kind of go over your setup and why you shoot elevated rest on your bow. Yeah. Um, I've shot an elevated rest for, let me think here. Well, I'm not sure how long it's been a number of years now. I, uh, I'm, I'm super picky with my tuning. I actually don't bear shaft tune. I, I do all paper every time I've got it perfect with paper from three different distances. I won't go into detail, but every time I've gotten, gotten it perfect with, with paper every single time it's uh, bear shafted perfectly too. And I've already in the past bear shafted to where it was good and it didn't paper tune good. So that's why I just, I totally just go with the paper. Um, that that's been my experience also. It, yeah. And, and I know bear shaft tuning for some reason is kind of a, a buzzword these days. I don't know if people really like the bear shaft tuning, and that's great. I mean, if you can get your bear shaft to fly with your fletch arrow, it's going to work perfectly. You know, And I, I'm sure there'd be ways you could do both and fine tune it even more. But, um, but yeah, the, the, the paper tuning's done really good for me. Um, and like I said, you kind of have to tune from three different distances and, um, if you get it right at all three distances, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna fly good, fly really good. And uh, what? But what, anyway, three, um, what, what three distances are you using? Um, so I I do about um, I'd be like five feet, and then I kind of it's more by look. I should measure it sometime. Um, but it's like five feet, and then like from the front of the bow to the paper, uh, and then uh, I kind of get it close with that and then to fine tune it i'll do five feet and then uh it's probably like uh 12 to 15 feet and then um we think you're 20 20 feet seven yards or yeah it it's probably like uh five 10 to 12 and then 15 to 20 feet that that's three three distances that's exactly how i do mine yeah yeah and so yeah if you and then and then i found too like back when I did not shoot the weight forward, like the extreme weight forward, um, I could get bows to do perfect bullet holes off the shelf. Um, when I switched to heavy FOC, I could get it tuned good enough. Like you could do bear shaft, you could do broadheads, you could throw anything through it and it still shot just fine. Like it would, it would, I couldn't get the bullet holes as often, but it was, it was like you're, you know, a little half inch tear or something. It was like, Basically, the arrow was oscillating, kind of, or something, or like it was kind of—I uh, don't know how to I, say it. I, I, um, exper- but- I experienced the same exact thing. Um, I was a big high FOC carbon shooter for quite a while, and when I went to tune my uh, my wood arrow setup this year, I was amazed on um, the how pure the bolt holes I was getting once I got you know once I got to where the arrows were the right spine and the right point weight. It was like amazing bolt holes I was getting through the wood shafts. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah, I I just um 
take it and um, shoot through paper. And it, it, like I said, don't get me wrong. If you're just going to shoot feathers, uh, high FOC, you can get it totally good off of a shelf. It's it might not be like perfect, perfect bullet hole every single time, but it's going to be like way good enough. I mean, it's, you're going to get it really good. <laughs> but um, hunting in all the rain that I do and everything, I like having at least one, maybe two veined arrows in my in my quiver um, that I can pull out while it's raining if every, if all my feathers are matted down. And so I, I stuck an elevated rest on there one time just for fun, just to see what it does. And, I mean, I could grab a new bow, slap the rest on it. I don't, if, if I'm just going to strictly shoot feathers off of it, you don't have to go more than a quarter inch above your rest. Um, if you're going to shoot veins, I like going like, like three eighths to half inch. Does that um, change the tiller of your bow? Uh, no, I, with the high FOC arrow, if, uh, it tends to like a higher knock point and, uh, I'm not sure why, but it tends to like a little bit higher knock point. What I found was if you just want to keep right on shooting feathers and stick a rest up there that's about only about a quarter inch higher than normal, uh, your knock point usually stays about exactly the same. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so, yeah, off of a rest, um, say, whereas you might normally, with high FOC arrows, a lot of guys are shooting 5.8 to 7.8 knock yep. height. Yep to get it to fly right uh with an elevated rest you say you put that rest up there about a quarter inch uh from what i've seen you can you can usually leave the knock point it's usually about the same place now uh, with me I, i'm doing it uh half about a half inch higher so it goes up a little bit but um it tends to it, you get by with less knock height than because it's on a rest and I, I yeah i don't know why i guess you know if you shoot it with a slow-mo camera you might be able to figure out why what's going on and i you uh, gave me one of your uh you gave me one of your elevated rests you make them from what is it a 22 shell and uh, yeah tell us us about that shell stuff it full of um long story short stuff it full of um mono line like a 25 pound mono line or a 30 whatever just stuff it full of that and then i burn the one end make it flat put it in a puddle of epoxy and once that epoxy dries it i like i use that instant stuff and then i uh, once that epoxy dries, you kind of make sure that the the top part is all it, there's nothing going above your monoline, so it's not taking the arrow away from the side of the bow, you know. Um, but then, yeah, you take that, peel it off of the packing tape. You know, the packing tape is real smooth, and you pull it off of there, and then you glue it back onto the bow with with the epoxy. And uh, I've never had one come off. Um, I'm sure they and, could, but uh, and you're kind of tri- that protected area. But. And you're trimming that that uh, 22 shell down, right? Oh yeah, no, that 22 shell is totally. Yeah, so I'm I'm cutting it off, so it's just a hollow tube. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that you know, and then I only use it while I'm building the rest. And then I pull it off. Pull it know, off when I'm. Actually, it's just yeah. it's just to form the mono line. Your little rest, right? Yep. yep. Okay. Yep. That's cool. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And then yeah, then you cut the rest. Uh, just a little bit wider than your arrow and um yeah it works it, it's done really well for me i'm i'm actually i've gotten pressure for some people to do a little youtube video about it so i'm gonna i i did all the video for it i'm gonna i'll post it up one of these days i don't have a well, channel yet well, even so well, <laughs> well, now, well now that it's on the podcast you're probably gonna get some more pressure so be prepared yeah, yeah i've got it all filmed i've got it all filmed and everything for the bow i use this year 
I just videoed myself doing it. So I'll, I'll get it up and, uh, people can look at it if, if they're interested in, you know, that kind of thing. And, and then what I found too, I, I'd shoot the veins and stuff and they shoot quieter than feathers and I'll probably get crucified by traditionalists. <laughs> <laughs> um, they, they shoot quieter than feathers. And so I, like my bull, I actually killed my bull with the veined arrow. Um, what? And I was actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just used that arrow. I, I decided this year I'm just going to make it my number one arrow cause it's so quiet, you know? So yeah, I shot the bull with that and I, w- I was going to clean it up and use it for my deer too, but I, I didn't have time and ended up shooting my buck before I got my arrow clean. So and, bef- uh, but- before, before we transfer, uh, from bulls to bucks, um, I wanted to bring this up. Uh, as far as bugling goes, ha- you guys have got, you know, are a lot more seasoned. I've only been uh, hunting elk with a bow and arrow and calling for just over 10 years. You guys have been at it longer than me. But it seems like when I started back 10, 11 years ago, that the the it was pop, bugling wasn't super popular, and a lot of guys were like, "Oh yeah, cow calls, cow calls, cow calls," and you know, lay, leave that bugle at home. At least that was what it was like where I where I live, and it's mm-hmm. done a full 180 now, and everybody's parent carrying these giant bugles and everybody's bugle 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 (laughs) have you seen you know that trend where you guys are at hunting and how has that uh changed because it seems like i love bugling and i love when it works but it seems like it's being overutilized to the point where i'm you know wondering if i need to change my tactics uh me or bob (laughs) both of you well i'd like to hear from both of you guys on that (laughs) You go ahead. Ladies okay. first, Trent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so when I first started hunting out, I mean, I've, yeah, I grew up here, so we've been hunting out for a long time, but it, it was, uh, definitely, you know, leave the bugles at home. It's just for locating do cow calls only. And I, you know, and I tended to be a more cautious guy anyway. And so I pretty much just did cow calls and then when i got a little older i started messing around with bugling more uh i i think you're missing out big time if you just stick to one or the other um you need i i think you need to use them both depending on the situation but yeah i don't know really how to explain it like okay so the that day i killed that bull i got a bull in range or almost within range uh with just strictly cow calls i didn't touch a bugle um, and, but then later I killed a bull where I later that same day, I killed a bull strictly with a bugle, but I didn't touch a cow call, you know? So I, I think it's situational like that bull that I killed. If I would have cow called that bull, I, I, at least from my experiences in the past, I doubt he would have come in. I think he would have tried to get me to come to him and I mean, maybe not, you know, they're animals. They can do whatever they want, but I, I, in that situation, I felt way more confident that I could get him in with a bugle. Um, and the situation I was in earlier that day, I felt more confident in a cow call. Um, so I, I, I think you need to use both. Um, but I think it's going to depend on the person too, kind of how they hunt and everything. But yeah, so I I agree um, with Trent. I mean, but your question about, is it more popular now than it was 
10 years ago, probably. I mean, all calling oh, yeah. has gotten yeah. that way just from doing podcasts, those damn podcast guys and, and you know, the elk <laughs> nut and Joel Turner, you know, yeah. you know, you look at Joel, like yeah. oh, I called in 30 bulls. If I just go and do my bugle and of course, thousands of people are going to grab their big bugles and run out up and down every Canyon and try doing that. I think calling as a whole in the last 20 years, the calls have just gotten easier to blow. You know, you used to have to kind of learn how to call. It was a little more difficult. Now, now they're easier to blow. There's more information um, out I, there. And I, I agree with Trent. I don't think one or the other. But there is guys that just bugle. You know, you look at Danny Moore. Never met the guy. But I've heard a ton of stories about him. He has a archery shop in Kalispell, I think. And he's killed like 50 elk with his bow. He's like a legend. And all he does is bugle. And yeah, you I, can't argue with that. <laughs> you I, know, I'd say... Everybody's got their own style. I'd say I'm 90% bugler, 10% cow caller. And I started with uh, some instruction from Larry D. Jones and uh, Paul Medell, the elk nut. I've been uh, following the elk nut for a good 11 years. So I've always been a big bugler. And back then, you know, the beginning, I had a lot of guys saying, oh, you're educating the elk, and I wish you'd leave that thing at home. And it just seemed like during that era – uh, bugling. Wor- I mean, it still works great now, but it seems like it worked better then. Now that now that uh, you know, then when less people were using it, but it there's nothing better than firing one up and running them down. Yeah, I listened to uh, Jay Scott. Him and that Steve Chapel had a uh, a couple years ago. They had one on cow calling. They're big. Cow callers, you know, lovers, not fighters, they say. And, and, uh, it was an interesting <laughs> podcast. Any of you guys out there should listen to it because that, you know, they hunt Arizona, obviously, where it's like a hundred times better than what we're used to hunting. But, but uh, a lot of good info on there just about how technical you can get with even a cow call. And, uh, I mean, oh, yeah. I, that, that year early, it was earlier in the year, but I mean, I definitely, that bull I called in, I cow called him in. So, it just depends on the year. I, I seem to be kind of like more of a lover earlier in the season. I'm I'm trying to find one that's wandering, looking for some action. I'm going to try to sound real good. And then later in the year when I feel like the bulls have herded up and, and they're a little more fired up, I feel like they got something to fight for, you know, get a little more aggressive. But I'm no expert by any means. Yeah. I just pound the bugle. Yeah. Until, I just pound the bugle over and over <laughs> and over again until it works. Well, that's what a lot of guys <laughs> yeah. do, man. And, yeah. And that's what a lot of guys, like even uh, Corey Jacobson, you know, some of those guys, they're like, they're like, yeah, are they walking past bulls? Well, yeah, they are, <laughs> but they they're just looking for a bull that's willing to play their game, is how they say it. And and yeah, yeah, that's to each his own. I I started out like pretty much. I mean, well, I wouldn't even take my bugle with me some days when I was younger. To now, every year I seem to use a bugle more and more and more. So um, I was always a little bit too cautious with elk hunting yeah and i See, think yeah, me, I, I was the same also you know i was always like afraid to educate them a little bit and didn't want to call too much yeah. and and more sneaking yeah. less calling and and i think there's a balance there for sure yeah, I, yeah see i i live in such just thick 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 brush that my kind of take on it is to just keep I kind of have it scouted out so I know where the bench is and the wallows and 
It's like if I, uh, I don't know if I'm looking for them to play my game. I'm just trying to figure out where they're, where they might be. And so I just yeah, figure if yep. I just keep bugling all these areas over and over again until uh, one pipes back and then I can have an, okay, there's elk in this Canyon. Now I can start figuring out how I'm going to approach them or, or whatnot. Yeah. But then at the same time, you know, my buddy, Norm Johnson, he's passive, very passive he carries this little itsy bitsy teeny little bugle tube that I've never even seen him use, and he's all cow calls. And he, he's—I don't—I don't even use my bugle when I'm with him because I know it would offend him. He doesn't yeah. want that bugle out, yeah. and it's just being real sneaky, and um, you know, and he kills the hell out of elk that way. So I mean, I, everybody and we're hunting the same country, so it, it's definitely a. Uh, you know, different, different approach, different strokes for different folks. Yeah. I, I think it, I think the big thing is for people just to do what they're confident in. Cause if yeah. they, if they're doing something that they're not confident in just because they heard it works, they're not gonna, they're, they're going to be, <laughs> excuse me, they're going to be a little bit more, I don't know. They're just not going to give it everything if they just kind of, well, let me just try this because so-and-so the, said yeah. it works. You're not going to sit there long yeah, enough yeah, when you're, you're calling. Yeah. Well, I think you said it right there, Robert. Uh, the biggest advice I could give you guys, uh, the listeners, you know, the new guys out there that are, that are looking for advice is, is if you do a, a setup, uh, take your time. Like don't elk, elk don't have watches. They're not in a hurry. And I've found myself getting in a hurry, you know, uh, calling on a spot and leaving it way too soon. You know, Trent talked about yeah. taking naps. I often will do a good calling sequence before I take my elk nap. And I'm telling you, 50% of the time I'm woken up to elk and they can't, they come in an hour later. Um, uh, I've, I've called at a tree off of a ridge on a point and waited 10 minutes and left and came back to to try to bugle that same spot the next day and that tree is tore up to the floor up right where I was standing and it's like they came in what maybe an hour late I don't know when but they definitely showed up after I had left and uh, I think guys definitely it's it's hard to to be patient but I think you really need to uh, and if you're hunting with other guys uh, I learned this a lot with Joel hunt with Joel Turner have your guy that's calling and then have your, if you got one guy or two other guys, you know, usually you got one other guy with you. If you're not hunting alone, have him out 20 yards from you, 30 yards, just listening. Cause he might hear that snap or that break, uh, on that other side of that ridge that you didn't hear from your calling location. And that, that can be huge too, to, to figure out what your next move is. So the biggest, mm-hmm. the biggest yeah. tip from this podcast is just to take more naps in the woods that's the biggest one <laughs> yeah <laughs> there you go. that's what i need to do damn it that's I what think, i've been missing out on i think that's true though i think that that especially i'm bringing early... a pillow next year oh i i, I have a i got an inflatable one now so yeah it, it weighs like three ounces i'm telling you i'm serious like when it's hot out i think these elk are super lackadocious and i think taking your sweet time especially if you're cold calling and moving to a spot and, and like Trent said, start off with a little light cow sound and, uh, throw in a, uh, some growls with the bugle tube and then maybe throw a whistle, a location bugle, and then give it a good 30 minutes, 40 minutes, but 45 then, minutes. When I start hunting slow like that, then I start to think though, 
you know, I've, I've hunted half a day, like Trent was saying earlier, and I made it like 300 yards. And then I started thinking, well, shoot, I'm not getting anywhere. I got to get over the next mountain, you know, then you go too fast. So yeah. I, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. It, it, it all, yeah, it, it's all confident with. Yeah. yeah. I think you got to go with the Elks mood and, and you got to judge that. And, um, one, one thing I, and I think that's, it's, it's not uh, available, but there's a lot of places that have these feeding areas or these protected areas, or you'll see them in, in your, you know, on a, you know, when you're driving to your spot, you might see them in a, in a ranch or in a field. We've got this like elk viewing area and I'll often, I check tabs on this spot. Um, you know, I don't go there all the time, but it, you know, it might be a day I'm not hunting and I drive by there or on my way to a hunt and I can kind of look out there and it's this refuge um, and if they're bugling and sparring, they're usually going to be bugling and sparring just up in the woods. If they're all laying there and the bulls aren't with the cows and they're still bachelor, it seems to give you an idea of what the mood's going to be like, uh, just up the, up in the mountains. And if I see the bulls all still gathered up and, and the cows just, you know, hanging out, it's usually a pretty good in- inclination that it's not, we always want it to be full, full rut, right? Like, Elk season's here. They better be screaming and trying to kill each other. And I don't think that's generally the case. Yeah. A few good days a year. Yep. Yeah. Let's, uh, uh, let's transition off this, uh, elk talk and move into the deer season. Um, so up next you're hunting with, uh, uh, Clay Hayes's camp in, uh, you're with, uh, Bob the bow hunter Borland, and you've got yep. uh, Andy from Addictive Archery and Carson Brown from Sherwood Shafts in Echo Archery. And what's uh, the other guy you guys had in camp? The Benji Hill. The yeah, Benji. Yeah, yeah. he's the, awesome. He's a, he's a neat guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're actually yeah, gonna have yeah. Some. Everybody, everybody was awesome. It was a really cool camp. So yeah. oh yeah, so, so, super cool camp, and and I. I uh, I know that uh, your your uh, buck story is uh, you know it's another uh, a l- lesson learned and um, but I think that these lessons learned are, are important to share and so if we could you know dive into that one if you don't mind oh boy you're gonna make me say that whole story <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, embarrassing <laughs> yeah it's not embarrassing dude I mean it's it, like like James uh, said. Uh, we we can we don't have to put it on there, but you shouldn't feel embarrassed, dude. No, you should feel no, proud yeah, that you. No, it's, I, most guys wouldn't have done that. I mean, you you're. Stuck. Yeah, no, I I shouldn't say embarrassing because I I luckily I videoed that shot and I got home and played it back and so I feel a lot better about myself now. So let's <laughs> just put it that way. Um, so yeah, tell so us should I tell us what tell us what you. Uh, uh, observed on the video since you've brought that up and then tell us how it went through your mind in the beginning and just go ahead and, uh, walk us through, through it. Uh, you, I know you'd been uh hunt for a few days and you got an opportunity and, you know, tell us leading up to, was it a steel hunt where you tree stand hunting, you know, just give us the, the whole rundown on it. Okay. Long story short, once we were done with our, what we did there in the morning with, with Andy's Buckley, uh, I went and got in the tree stand and, uh, I'd sat there, I'd sat, it was like two or two thirty. Um, I think I'd, I'd probably climbed up around nine o'clock or something. Right. Yeah. Something like that. Um, anyway, I, uh, finally about two, two thirty, some, a, a group of deer came in and the group 
had dough and two fawns and three bucks. And the, the dough and fawn and the little buck skirted around and went up the hill. And I did have some deer come in earlier. I had some does come in behind me, but uh, they I think they smelled me because they came, they came through where they didn't i didn't think they would come through and uh yeah she smelled me but not enough to really blow out of there but it made her nervous and something and she yeah she finally left turn turn around and left and says so hadn't had a whole lot of action but anyway this deer the doe and the young buck go around and then uh the there's this nice buck probably like a three and a half maybe four and a half year old buck i don't know uh but he only had one side. I don't know if it fell off or it broke off, but he only had one side. Uh, but it was a good good deer. And they came up through and said, oh, man, it's perfect. They're going to give me a 10-yard shot. But instead of coming up how they're supposed to, they went. They kept going straight behind me. And uh, so the first buck was the big buck, and he went through um, without, yeah, I couldn't get a shot. And about the time he was through, I realized if I, and I was turned around in my, in, in the tree stand with the seat up. So it's a lone wolf hang on. You can fold that seat up. And it, I love that tree stand. That's, I'm actually going to buy one from Andy. That, that those things are amazing. I love those things. And, uh, you know, if I squat way down, uh, I can get a much bigger opening for the second buck coming through. So I squatted down the bucks coming through. Uh, see, we stepped that off then the next day. What was it? Uh, 20, 22 or something yeah 22 22 yards yeah it was something um in that neighborhood but it, it, he came through i i remember pulling back my bow and i remember seeing my arrow right there and like, okay this looks good and it's like should i stop him like no don't stop him you know shoot him walking and uh and of course i totally i told myself earlier i'm not going to shoot a walking deer anymore until I practice it, I totally didn't even think of that. But anyway, <laughs> just when you're in the moment, you're yep. just totally zoned in on it, you know. And anyway, this thing goes walking by, and I uh, I shoot, and uh, yeah, let's just say it was a bad hit. Put it that way. I and uh, I guess I'll just say where I hit it. I hit him. I hit him. Um, like so low, low in the ham. Like is that is that a good way to describe yeah. it? Yep. Like kind of low, low in the ham. I saw right away as he ran off. I saw the way he, his back leg was. I I knew I I had I had broken his his leg bone back there, like his main bone. But it was high enough in the ham that it it um it kind of it didn't flop, but you could tell it was broke. You know. Yeah. And uh, oh, I was I was just sick. I, I was like, I mean, I couldn't believe i was that far off i mean it i was like man this shot felt good i was just sure that i wasn't that far off and i was like i was so mad at myself i just i yeah i was like man here here i'm gonna be on this long track job i'm gonna go go home without a deer because i'm never gonna catch up to him and and i was like well the only prayer i have at getting this deer is to to keep him moving just keep on his tail because i obviously didn't hit anything vital or guts so it's totally just a muscle hit and the only way i will possibly get my tag on this deer is to to just keep on him and keep him moving keep him bleeding which is gruesome but i mean you 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 owe it to the animal if you put that bad of a shot into something you you gotta you have to go after him and so i um 
I had to wait a little bit cause the other buck was right there and didn't know what was going on. And, and thankfully I was going to get out of my tree stand right away and just haul after him. But, uh, thankfully I waited cause he circled down and went around and came back up through and ran by me again at 40 yards. I actually shot at, shot at him again as he ran by me and I shot right behind him. I, I knew I had to get down and just chase after him. So I, I got down, I kind of did a loop, kind of try to save time. I did a loop to figure out where he was headed and I just cut his track and get him on, on him again. Cause he was bleeding half decent. And, and, there, uh, and there's snow, so I, on, there's snow on the ground too, for everybody listening. There's, there's snow on the yeah, ground. Several yeah. Inches of snow. Fresh. It had snowed the night before, which was totally made this possible. The only reason it was possible was because it snowed the night before. So I went after him and, uh, the first bed was probably, he had probably run three quarter mile or so. I don't know. Um, something like that, but he, I kept, I, I would be going and then all of a sudden I would bump him and, uh, the, the blood would kind of stop. It would slow down and stop, but I could still tell it was him by his track and everything, how it was with his back leg. And, and, uh, then it, the bleeding would almost stop, but then it would start again when I bump him. And, uh, I knew, I knew if I wouldn't be bumping him, he's just going to lay there and, uh, kind of everything would clot up. And then when I would come say the next day, let's say he was just going to be, he's all rested up and he's going to be fine for, for a month or two, then until the winter kicks in good and he's probably going to die then. So with, with a wound like that anyway, I mean, it's crazy because if I would have hit like an inch or two either way, it would have just been a little muscle wound, you know, but, but I hit that, that I broke the bone that's makes something like that way more serious. Like a, a deer, in my opinion, I doubt a deer could recover from that. I mean, I could be wrong, but I doubt a deer could recover from that long term. Do you think? I mean, I, I don't think so, man. I think that's a yeah, yeah. It, it was it was bad. Um, so long story short, he he went. Well, yeah, I, I kept tracking him, and he went around the side of the mountain that was crazy, crazy steep, and just real bad brush. And there's no other deer tracks on that mountainside. Like the deer were not there, but he, he went there and, uh, I tracked him through there and that was really tough going through there because all the brush. Um, and the other side of the mountain was more open and I was like, man, if he could just somehow get over there and then when I'm, I'll track him till dark and I could just get up to the road and walk, hike out the road a few miles back to the truck. It'd be perfect. But he, uh, he kept side hilling. Finally, uh, all of a sudden he, I see this lion track, a really fresh lion track. And he, he hit that lion track and went right then just turned straight down the hill and just went straight down the hill and like went a different direction. That must've freaked him out. But he went down across the Creek. As I was getting down to the Creek, I saw him on the other side. It was more open over there. So I went other side and I tracked, tracked him and he actually bedded up on that other side once or twice again. Um, and then, uh, about at dark, he went across this, uh, this open face, uh, right above the Creek, about a hundred yards or so above the Creek. <clears throat> and, um, the sun had shown just enough, I guess that day that it kind of melted the snow right there. And I, I lost the blood. It was getting dark. I didn't really want to turn my headlamp on right then. Cause I knew I wouldn't be able to track for much longer anyway. So I knew I'd pushed him pretty good that day. I, he had went. At that point, he had went, uh, it was it was almost two miles, probably, at, at that point. And so 
tracked him till dark, and then I um, got out of there, uh, went up to the road, and about a mile and a half on the road to get back to the truck, and met Carson over there, and we went down, and we talked about it, and uh, you had filled your tag already, so uh, you had said you'd go back and help me track this deer, and so yeah, the next day I went back in, and uh, I actually took my recurve the next day, because that's the bow I'd been shooting all year, and I knew if, you know, on it, I don't normally take long shots, but on a in a situation like that, I, I know how that bow shoots at longer distances. Whereas with this other bow, bow, I hadn't had any, I didn't have any history with it, put it that way, to know how it shoots at farther distances. So I, I took my recurve because I knew how that bow shoots farther, just in case I had to put a finishing shot from a longer distance. But anyway, we, we tracked him. He went back down to the creek, went up the creek a little ways and had bedded in the creek a number of times and then he left the creek and went back up on the same hillside like the steeper brushier hillside we we were up out of the creek um i don't know was it 100 yards or so yeah probably something um, like that yeah and uh i i saw him moving up through about 40 50 yards it was like oh no here this is where the rodeo starts so we, <laughs> i kind of hung back like man what do we do kind of wait for him to calm down then try to circle him or should we charge in there you know i and Bob's like, hey, let's just go. Let's just get in there. Let's just go. So we took off up there and charged to where I had last seen him, and we we couldn't see him. I like we. we yeah, we're in a, we're in a real like a steep, stop. real steep, brushy draw, you know, and and it kind of like a couple fingers going on. Yeah, but it, but it's kind of it's more open there than a lot of places too, though, in a way. Yeah. And yeah, and we're like looking around, like, man, where is this thing? And all of a sudden, uh, we look down and it's ten yards. It's like laying in the in the draw. I think he was trying to hide or something. I don't know, because I'd seen him before and he could still walk. You know, he could still go. He just, I think he was just wore out and just he would lost enough blood where he was just tired. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. he just he had old he Trent laid, the hound dog on him the, long enough. <laughs> no, he yeah he just laid in this draw and. uh a, a couple shots later, we we uh, we we got him. So yeah, it was a bit of a rodeo. But uh, so what did you I've find never, out? You uh, said you recorded. you said you watched the video. What did you find out from the video? Oh yeah, the video. So um, I thought there's no way he reacted to the shot, and I didn't see that he reacted to the shot um, because you know he was just walking. You know, yeah. head. He's just nonchalant walking. He's walking at a good pace, but he wasn't he wasn't concerned about anything. He's just walking. Well, what I didn't realize is when about the time I got to full draw, um, there was a little bit of space of time there from when I when I got back to full draw and when I shot. For, so by the time I got back to full draw, he he uh, he picked his head up and and like looked over. He kind of kept walking, but he started to. Like he something over my direction caught his attention. He, he might have been looking slightly to my right, but he was looking over my direction, and I was so keyed in on shooting him that I didn't notice this. He he like picks his head up, looks over, but he's still walking, and is like he's like his he, he's like looking over towards my tree. And uh, about then I shoot, and right as I shoot, he like takes off. And actually the arrow, you can see the arrow going. I, I slowed it way down. You can see the arrow going. And as the arrow is out in front of my bow, he like kicks it into high gear and takes off. And uh, if if he would have just 
done what he was doing, I, I would have caught him about mid, mid body yeah. where it looked. Yeah. But the way he went, he like, he lunged away and, and just, you know, he was taken off running and he like his front end, like he like right away went away from me and was taken off. And yeah, I'm shooting a 50 pound longbow with 616 grain arrows, I think. And yeah, that's not moving very fast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, I, I, I thought I had really messed up this shot, but in all reality, I, it was actually a pretty good shot. It just, with the way he reacted to the shot, um, it, it hit him way back. And now do you think, yeah, so that they hear that they, they hear the feathers. Do you think they like, why do you think he jumped the string? Cause he's walking, right? I mean, and he didn't take off until your arrow was halfway there or something. I mean, what do you think? I'm just out of curiosity. Cause that's it was, the same it stuff. Was, I, I don't know if it was quite half. I don't know if it was quite halfway yet, but yeah, the arrow was definitely on its way. I, I don't know. It was, they were big five inch shield cut feathers, which in my opinion are really noisy. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I think it could just, it's such a, you know, from the time you shoot to the arrow is halfway, it's, it's still like, that's so fast that they could easily be reacting to the shot or the feathers. I, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I honestly don't know what to think, but I do know he freaked out, man. And I, I I'm, and I'm almost positive if he would have just walking and not paying any attention in my direction, I don't think he would have reacted like that. Yeah. Um, but well, it I sounds mean, like you you had other deer around and maybe possibly even a deer behind you. I mean, he could have been reacting to another deer. I don't know. Some yeah, I don't know what it was, but something caught his attention uh, my direction right before I shot, and and that definitely. Man, heck of a job yeah, stick, normally, sticking with that buck, though, Trent. I mean, the reason we wanted to yeah, tell thanks. the stories because a lot of guys wouldn't have done that, and the story really doesn't do it justice. I mean, it was some steep, nasty country that that thing went, that canyon it went down and across and back down and back up. I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, it, it was, was steep, it was, it was thick, never, it was nasty. And, and I've always known, never, you know, a too far back shot, uh, a gut shot, you got to give them, you know, some time. And I've heard that if you, uh, you know, if it's, you know, a, a mortally wounded, broken leg type of situation that getting him bleeding and, and getting after him, I've just never been in that situation, but it sounds like if you would have just yeah, I never had either. kicked back and gave him time, you were probably never going to find him. But by staying on him and keeping, keeping that wound fresh, uh, you were able to recover him. And like you said, more than likely he, he was done. His time, uh, uh, was limited no matter what. So, I mean, you know, way to stick, yeah, it, uh, stick it out and, and get it done. Yeah. It seemed like when we caught up to him and I mean, Bob talked about it, it just seemed like he just kind of gave up and he just, he's done. He was done running and I think he was just going to try to hide and let us walk by or something. But it, yeah, I've never had to work like that after the shot for anything. I mean, it's, it was unreal. I, in total, we went, back with the gps i had tracked out a lot of the track and then filled in some of the blanks with a with the with the little line deal and he went uh like two and three quarter mile he went almost three miles to where i finally got him then and it i obviously it wouldn't have been possible 
it without snow. I mean, <laughs> the yeah. snow is a total game changer. I haven't tracked a whole lot of like archery kills in snow because I normally hunt in September and October, and and it. Uh, Wow, it's uh, it makes a world of difference. Yeah, it's it just it happened to be the right right situation that day. But yeah, it's well, pretty pretty sad, gruesome story. But yeah, I guess if that can, uh, I think guys can, can learn give from give someone a little. Yeah, I think guys can learn from that. We appreciate. We know it's not. We all want to have uh, perfect shots, and I know we strive for it. And I know you've had plenty of those in your career, but we do appreciate you sharing it because. It's less than ideal, and guys want to tell the story where they hit them right in the chalupa and they fall over. But um, recovering your game, no matter what uh, the circumstances, is the end quest, um, you know, objective. And you know, and it's it's always great to have guys like you in camp that are going to stick it out um, and, and get it done. No, that was yeah, and that camp, oh, that was great. And big thanks to Clay for the invite for all of us but that was that was really cool i'd never really shared a camp with a bunch of trad guys and and uh that was really cool and guys uh clay and andy and some of these guys there with their self bows and killing deer and it uh it makes you show up with a laminated bow you feel a little out of place (laughs) i know you usually don't like that you go to the camp you feel like a wuss yeah. (laughs) yeah they uh they uh they're out there laying deer over with the cell phone, so it's pretty pretty cool to see that. But it was a fun hunt, and uh, that was yeah. I was I was at home I was at home working, uh, thinking about you guys all day long. <laughs> going, gosh, I wish I was in camp with these guys. They're having so much fun, and I'm working. Yeah, no, it's perfect too because the days are short enough. You get quite a bit of uh, camp life. You know, you you come back and everybody swaps stories and cook up a good meal and it's it's really cool and we got to hang out with that with that guy that uh that andy and uh bob found uh ej but that that is the coolest yeah we met yeah we met old guy we're gonna try to get him on the podcast uh we'll see he's he goes from there he's hunting in arizona for a month but a super super cool guy he's 75 he's up there hunting by himself hunting out of tree stands i mean just just a wealth of knowledge. Yeah, so he, we got lucky. He came by camp a couple of different nights and hung out, had dinner with us, and heard his stories for hours. So we'll definitely try to get him on here for the listeners because he, I mean, he took he took us out and showed us. I mean, we're Trent and Andy killed their buck. I mean, he took us out and showed yeah. us showed him right where yeah. to put the tree stand. So we kind of had a had a guide almost with him. He's just awesome. Yeah, we we're we're spoiled a little bit right there. So yeah, so, he, he's. Yeah, you won't find a cooler guy than than that guy. He's uh, awesome. awesome. Well, do you, you got any concluding thoughts you want to leave the listeners, Trent? No, I. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, if <laughs> if you can follow an animal you hit in a marginal hit, just keep after it. I gave myself a one. I told Bob this. I was like, I give us, I, I give us a one percent chance of actually being able to catch up with this buck and finish him off. I did not think it was going to happen, but you you have to you owe it to the animal. To, yeah, to I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you guys. If you guys didn't, the mountain lion was going to, and it was nice to yeah. uh, for you to be able to take that uh, buck home to uh, to uh, you know nourish your family. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks for having me on. It's always a blast talking to you guys. So. Yeah, we uh, we look forward to our paths crossing again soon. Alrighty, sounds good. Thanks, Trent, man. Thanks for. I know this has been 
two and a half hours. Sorry, buddy. But you just get talking out and you can't stop. Do you want to, you want to uh, leave the listeners, you want to plug your, uh, your website and uh, social media presence? Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, I got a little website going. I need to, I need to do a bunch of updating on it. I, uh, I, uh, everybody's been asking me when I'm getting my longbows on the website. I still haven't done that yet, but it's, uh, it's, uh, wengardarchery.com. Uh, Instagram is, uh, at Wangard Boyer and Facebook. I don't do very much on Facebook, but it's, uh, at Wangard Archery, I believe on Facebook. So, and that's, yeah. uh, that's, uh, W E N G E R D D. Yep. yep. Well, yeah, I did get, definitely give this guy a, a, a look. He makes some beautiful bows out of Montana. He could even carve you a flower on it if you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah I do flowers. <laughs> I can do flowers. Yeah. <laughs> Save those flowers for Bob's bow. <laughs> okay. All right, Trent. Have a good one, man. Happy, holi- <laughs> happy holidays, buddy. Thanks for getting on with us. All right. Same to you. We'll, we'll talk to you later. Bye. All right, later, man. Thanks again for joining the podcast. That was a long one, but a good one. Uh, we've got all, all kinds of great guys lined up. Uh, we appreciate you guys' support in 2017. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean. Check us out on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram. Keep the wind in your face. Pick a spot and shoot straight.